I think sometimes our teachers are dealing with levels of stress in ways that they don't, they don't even recognize either until they actually have a moment to be asked like, so how are you doing? Um, And I think leaders are in that place too, because they're often the ones nobody has. How are you doing? So let's get started because I know we're we're already, we're already, (laughs) we're already doing it. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 267. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. And this week, I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Schwanke, an education leader from Dublin City Schools in Dublin, Ohio, and the author of two great books on school leadership. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast. And as I stumble through that introduction, I hope you're having a great day. I am. I am. And it's great to be back. We're, we're, um, we've got some good questions to think through today, and I hope that the listeners will really find value in, in some of the ideas we're going to throw out there. Well, as we jump into this week's episode with Principal Questions Part 2, if you want to go back and listen to Jen and I talk from last week's conversation, you can go back to Episode 266. But wow, we've got some really great questions here, Jen. And we're just going to go ahead and jump straight into the hardest one, I think, which is the question, how do you manage leading a school through the grief of losing a teacher to COVID? And I know this is not a novel question for our listeners. I have talked to, you have talked to principals already this year, this semester, who have walked through the grief. I know uh, a principal at an elementary school in our state who's managed the death of two teachers. I know a high school principal who just um, about two weeks ago managed the uh, the death of a of a young teacher in, in in that building. And so these are questions that when leaders are stepping into meetings, sometimes they're the weight that they're carrying for what their schools are going through is is so much deeper than just curriculum and managing schedules and and helping kids at lines and, and welcoming parents in the mornings, there's a, there's a lot of grief, Jen. And so as we talk to leaders about those questions, uh, let's just reflect um, a little bit. What, what are some thoughts that come to mind? And I'll be glad to add my own as well. When we were pl- plugging in our microphones to prepare for today, I, I was thinking about grief and how layered it is. And, you know, a lot of administrators have, have experienced some sort of devastating loss to their school community. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a club none of us want to join, but most of us will at some point in our careers. And I was thinking how complicated a loss because of COVID really is for principals because grief is loss and you have to work through that and all the feelings that come with it. But the layer of COVID intensifies it because COVID is, is scary and it's Mm -hmm. something that could happen to any of us. And it's um, unexpected in the sense that, you know, all of us think, well, I wouldn't get that sick. And so there's that fear when it hits so close to home that someone that we've worked with and, and, you know, attended baby showers with and endured parent teacher conferences with, you know, now they were the ones it's, it's so close. And so we deal with fear and loss very differently and I think loss takes time and it takes community to, to work through it. Fear takes action, at least for me. I, I, when I'm scared or I'm frightened, I want to do something. 
And the problem here is that with COVID, the thing you do is you isolate, right? If you're scared of, of how COVID might affect you or your, your, your immune system is compromised in some way, you isolate. And that obviously is, is the opposite of what we need to do to manage loss. Mm -hmm. So that reconciliation needs to happen somehow. And I think it's different for different types of people. And, and all that is to say, I think that leaves principals in a very tricky spot because, you know, they'll want to bring their community together to grieve, but fear makes it so coming together is not the most comfortable place. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I, I always go back to what has helped me in times of intense grief. And that is to go back and revisit the stages of grief because I can find myself in, in those. And I will read them. I think it was Elizabeth Kluber Ross. I, I said that quickly because I don't want to mess up her name, but she, she um, first introduced the stages of grief mm -hmm. and I will literally pull out the book and read through the stages because it helps me ground myself to know that there, there is a process that the heart needs to go through. It, during these times. I, I appreciate that, Jen. And I think that's so helpful. Um, I think the thoughts that, that, that I would add is sometimes when we're trying to help our students and our teachers and our communities manage grief, there's not always a place for the principal to manage grief. And, and I say that because, um, um, you know, in, I think I think if you've been in school leadership long enough, you've managed grief. I mean, we before COVID, I've been in schools where we've lost teachers. I've been in schools where we've lost students. I've been in schools where we've lost dear community members, and it's ne never it's never an easy process. But often in those processes, you're the one who's stepping forward with the boldness and the courage, and you're the one who's gathering people, or or maybe even the one delivering the news of what's happening for your school community. And, and sometimes you don't have a moment where you can just shut the door and, and just grieve yourself. And so um, I just want to give school leaders permission to recognize that you're carrying a, a weight of grief too when you're in those situations. And it's okay to recognize that those stages of grief that, you're, that your folks are experiencing, you're experiencing too. Right. And, it, it, and it does affect the way you lead. You can't deny that that kind of emotion will begin to... Um, tinge sometimes the way you're thinking or feeling. And so sometimes you need to pull away um, and just take a, even if it's just a small moment to, to, to embrace the way you're feeling and then step back in, uh, but recognize the kind of stress that puts on you too, uh, emotionally and physically. I'm glad you said that. I had a principal call me actually from Michigan last week. And she said, you know, teachers keep saying, no one is asking about us. Nobody is cares how we're feeling. And she said, every time she's that, that she hears that she thinks no one asks about me either, <laughs> which of course is, you know, you don't want to get in a suffering contest, like who has it worse, but as a principal, you, you know, that's part of your job is to carry the feelings and the, and the emotions of the people who are working in your building. And, and my worry for principals who don't care for themselves, as you just explained, are that they'll get stuck in one of the stages. Um, 
so just to bring it back to that, you know, first you have your denial, then your anger, then your bargaining and, and then comes the depression. And that's where I worry that principals can get stuck. Mm-hmm. They can go through this leading their staff. And then if they don't care for themselves, then they're going to go to, to a low place. That's really hard to claw out of without some help. So, um, I think getting help, doing any kind of outreach, whether it's in your personal world or, um, some resources that are out there, it's important to take care of ourselves too, because, you know, that principal that called me was right. Nobody stops and says, Hey, let's see how the principal's doing. And I I guess I want to walk that back a little. Some people do. I think that there are those really caring, empathetic souls on every staff who will stop by and say, Hey, how are you to the principal? And that, that really means a lot. But in, in um, the absence of those people checking in, I think we sometimes have to self-initiate a little and, and get the support we need. That's great. And and within this context of, you know, I think we've set the stage in terms of recognizing the emotions that are involved with grief, but let me take just a couple of minutes and give some practical suggestions too for leaders. And I'm actually going to refer back to something that I wrote about a long time ago, Jen, when we lost a really, it was, it was a, a tragic situation in our school when we lost um, one of our students Um and it was a uh, it, it was a very public uh, situation. Uh, it was a, a hard situation. It, it was uh, a, a close to graduation, a senior in our school, and so there was a lot of grief that our community was facing. And I actually sat down at the time and I wrote myself some notes as we walked through that situation as a school community. And I've come back to these notes, sadly, the next time something happened. Um, and so here's a few things that I I'm going to pull from from those lessons that I think also apply now. One is the importance of your role as a school leader to be a a strong communicator. When you know something, people need to know what you know, as long as you're not breaching confidentiality. So it's just really important that you keep your communication forward and strong on because you are the spokesperson on behalf of your school community. And so sometimes it's important for you to be a voice to the parents and other kids within your community that of if you have, and again, sometimes these have to be done within the constraints of district messaging, but it, I think it's important for principals to be prepared to be that messenger for, to their teachers and to the students and to the community of, of our hearts are broken. This is what we're struggling through right now. And on behalf of our school district, we want to provide support to this family, et cetera. The second thing I think that's important for principals to remember is just the power of your presence and visibility. Sometimes you don't need to say anything at all. Um, after you've made a statement, you just need to be present because sometimes people these just your presence sometimes provides people with that extra measure of just knowing, hey, it's a hard day today, but I just looked up and saw Ms. Schwanke. I just looked up and saw Mr. Parker. I just looked up and saw my leader. And I feel I just feel supported by by seeing the person who's there for me. The, the third thing I would say is just maintain as much stability and routine as you can. Because when you're going through grief, sometimes the best remedy for healing is routine. It's just stepping back in and making sure that things can go back to as normal as they can, but within that routine, providing opportunities for people to step away if they need help. And so making sure that routine is there with support provided and available for people that are struggling or that may need a place to just go and and, and talk or grieve. Uh, The fourth thing I would say is allow for um, creativity or res- or spontaneous responses from your school community. Somebody may want to do something to remember that person, or they may want to plant a tree or whatever. Don't be that damper on people's spontaneity and creativity. Allow them. I, I'm, I'll tell a quick story, Jen. We had a teacher who, the day after we had lost that senior student, 
um, in the math class that that student attended, the teacher was um, inviting kids in, getting ready to call roll and teach. And when she looked out across the students, it was obvious that um, they were not ready to learn. There was there were tears, there was um, anxiety, and this <clears throat> this was a close knit class. And so um, one of the kids just spontaneously said. Um, I have a Sharpie. Could I write a note on the desk of that, of our, the student that we lost? And that teacher did the right thing at that moment. She didn't come ask me permission. She was like, let's circle up. And every one of those students that hour took time to just write notes on the desk of that kid. When we gave that desk to that family, um, that, that was something that was spontaneous and creative, but allowed those kids an, an opportunity to heal. And if you're, leading a community right now that's facing, you know, grief, don't, don't push back when you've got people that want to do things that are spontaneous. And then the last thing I'll say is um, don't be afraid to ask for help outside of your school community. Um, there are people within your communities who are really good at providing additional support. So whether that's bringing in additional district counselors or allowing your faith community to provide folks that would connect with kids or people in your school that are, that share that same faith. Um, I think that's, that's super important too. Um, so uh, I hope those are helpful. I'll, I'll add a link to um, that post from a previous conversation I've had, Jen, but, but that just came to me as we were talking about this, because I think that, I think grief is something that um, those lessons can be shared from across time too. And I love that they came from a place of experience too, because a lot of times when, when we lose a student or a staff member in a school, we feel so alone. We feel like, okay, we're the one person who, who will navigate this, but how do I do it? How many ways can I mess this up? Everybody's looking at me and I don't know. And I think it's important to remember a lot of principals have been through it and they may have taken notes as you did, or they may have a mental file um, and, you know, to reach out and ask for help or to, to learn from the experiences of others will certainly make it more seamless. And, and the other thing I might add is, and, and you certainly alluded to this, is it's okay to feel pretty ripped apart yourself and to, to show that because being vulnerable and being fragile and being real are things that a staff is looking to see in a leader. And that doesn't mean you open a staff meeting with, with a big, long cry. That means you, you show what, what strength looks like and you um, allow them to, to know that you're in pain as well. And that's where the community comes in. That's where healing begins is Mm -hmm. by looking around and seeing that whoever this person is, that's no longer with us is, is going to be missed collectively. Well, and I'll add one more resource. Um, and I, you and I were talking about this before we opened the recording, but um, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in PD with a, a an, an experienced educator. It was actually a, a it was actually some a, an instruction on trauma informed strategies. How do you work with students in trauma? And the um, instructor pulled out a book, an elementary book called The Rough Patch by Brian Lies, which is just a beautiful story of an animation a fox who's a gardener who loses his best friend dog. And, and so it, it's a, it's just a touching story about how he responds to his loss and the, and the difficulty that he goes through, but it's written in a way that's so sensitive to the, um, to the sensibilities of children. But I found myself while she was just reading this children's book, getting emotional. I had to step out of the room for a minute because I think sometimes 
we don't even recognize ourselves how we're dealing with the grief of those in our own lives and the people around us that are struggling until we actually have permission to think about it. And so if you lead an elementary school, maybe that's a good time to pull out one of those books that you would be reading to kiddos and model that with your teachers. Or maybe it's an opportunity to you for you to just close your door and read that book to yourself. Um, but I'll, I'll provide a link to The Rough Patch if you want to um, pick up a copy of that book, because I, I have a copy of it on my desk now, Jen, because it it's just a comforting reminder that all of us go through rough patches. And that, by the way, is a great tip for administrators. If you can't find the words or you don't know how to lead the conversation, there are some wonderful resources out there that are short you know, children's books, quick reads, and you can just read it to your staff, close the book, and then let them talk. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even have to be words. You can, you can poach words from other people who are poetic and kind and compassionate as you are, and you don't have to have to find new words. Um, a lot of times a, a opening like that is more powerful than anything you could have put together on your own. So embrace, embrace the experts, I guess we can say. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into question two this week. The, the first question I know was a difficult one for us to talk through. Managing and leading schools through grief is not an easy topic, Jen, to talk about. And listeners, if you've got additional comments or resources or ideas that you want to add to this conversation, please do. You can reach out to me at will at williamdparker.com or Jen at her um, contact information as well. And just um, provide us with some of the feedback that you've had or even the experiences that you've had that might be helpful for others to know too. Jen, the second question that we have this week from um, Practicing Principles is, uh, is a question on escalations of behaviors as we've transitioned back from COVID. Um, man, I was sitting in a PD yesterday um, with, I'm a big fan of growing leaders and they had just put out a book on students, emotional um, anxiety coming back from COVID. And the, the, there were about 165 educators in this Zoom. And the question he posed at the beginning was, what are some samples of anxiety or stress you're seeing among your students as they've returned? Oh my gosh, the chat just was blowing up with just examples of kids and their the, the, the kinds of escalated behaviors that people are seeing as a result of them transitioning back in. And um, and so, um, and, and I'm sure you could fill in the gap principles that are listening to this right now, but I saw um, responses about kids, um, some kids who, um, who are more withdrawn, other kids who are um, more aggressive, um, you know, kids that are having a difficult time managing the way that they're um, responding um, to, to teacher input. I don't know, Jen, you could add to that list um, in terms of, of those behaviors. Yeah, you know what I'm hearing a lot of from principals? I'm so lucky to have principals really across the country that uh, reach out to me and, and share some of their thoughts. And, and what I'm hearing is it seems like there was a little bit of a maturity lapse so, you know, I talked to a, a principal who said, actually, it, it was a superintendent who works with principals on all three le levels. And he said, there's, it seems like the five-year-olds are three and the seventh graders are fifth graders and the sophomores are eighth graders and the seniors are sophomores. And, you know, whether that's true or mm -hmm. not, he said that that's what he's hearing over and over. And really that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes mm -hmm. sense because we had that length of time that we weren't 
um, we weren't with our students. They weren't in the same traditional environment. And so the behaviors that that drove them for the past two years um, are what they think they're bringing to the table now. And so, you know, I've thought a lot about this and I, this is not my new thinking, but a lot of experts out there remind us that we teach students math, we teach students science, and we need to teach behaviors too. Mm. And And, you know, I think we all anticipated an instructional loss, but we all thought the kids would be so happy to be back that they would come and do exactly what we asked or what we expected. But we're going to have to go back and teach some of the behaviors that we expect. And I know that sounds like common sense. And if there's teachers listening, they're probably thinking, well, of course, but they're just not learning. I'm trying to teach and they're not learning them. And so addressing that might take different tools. And that's where I would call on teachers and principals and superintendents to really provide the PD, um, the book studies, reach out to some specialists if needed, um, use the parents as um, a, a bridge between the school and the students so that everybody's kind of on the same page. My superintendent and I were talking about this not long ago, and, and he's a really smart guy. He pointed out that the Latin root for the word discipline means to learn. And so in schools, we don't punish, we, we shouldn't punish, we should discipline, we should work with our young people who make mistakes, or who perhaps don't have the behaviors that we want them to have at, at that point in their um, maturity. But the purpose of school discipline is to teach our students. And so as we navigate through the discipline referrals that come to the office and the tricky behaviors that students might be showing, we should do it, do it with the um, lens of, of teaching them how to better respond. And that to me is very helpful. It's very grounding. Well, what I like about that, Jen, is it's such a good reminder. I think you and I were talking months ago when we started hearing a lot of feedback about learning gaps. And I think you were one of the first persons that helped me think, rethink, like, are we forgetting how resilient kids are that, you know, that, that this is unfinished learning, but there's certainly there, this gap is not going to last forever. And I right, know that right. some of the research you look at, will talk about that when students get behind in certain kinds of learning, or if there's too much gap in the summer, then they, they have such a hard time catching up. And that can be pretty daunting when you look at the research of the slide, the learning slides that happen. But you and I both know that if you step in front of a room of kids with the mindset that I'm trying to catch you up, um, that's not the place to start in terms of, of, of helping them achieve the goals that you have set for them. And that content, the math, the science, the reading, all of those things have to happen within the, the context first of learned behaviors. And so when you face those immaturity, those immature behaviors, and I know, you know, when I, I was in the classroom for 11 years before the 14, I served as a principal. And Jen, you were a veteran classroom teacher too. Even on a normal, quote unquote, normal year, I always felt my kids were more immature every year. And I think, I think, I think, I think think part of that's because the reality is I'm getting older every year. And so, and they're the same age development stepping in every year. But I, I, I do have to um, affirm that people feel like that they're seeing the developmental stages of these kids having some gaps because of how long they've been out of school. And so give yourself permission, like you just said earlier, to pause and make sure that you're taking time to teach behavior as much as you're teaching content. And, and you and I both know that if you take time to work on those procedures and behaviors and expectations first, then you have the context for the, for the learning that happens too. And that's not to say it's easy. 
um, but it's certainly just as important. And so even at the high school level, when I taught juniors, I would start off with, I mean, I was probably too much into Harry Wong for a high school teacher, but you know why? It worked. And so I would spend the first several days of my high school juniors, I'll just use them as an example, walking through, how do we come into class? How do we pass in papers? How do we check for makeup work? How do we work when we're sitting in a group? How do we address concerns? How do we, how do we, how do we have difficult conversations and give each other turns? You know, so if, you know, if, if we need to do that with, um, with older learners and frankly, Jen, you and I do that when we do PD with educators, we, we set the norms, we, we determine what the behaviors are going to be before we ever step into content. Um, then I think it's important to give yourself permission, um, leaders who are listening to this right now, that as you're encountering those things, it's, it's important, I think, to give yourself permission to spend um, time reviewing um, behavior instruction as much as we do content instruction. Right. And I think for it is the job of the principal to remind teachers that um, in discipline and instruction can be inter, interwoven together. Um, I, I received a phone call from a teacher, she, or excuse me, from a principal. She was really, really upset because there's um, in her school, the eighth graders go on this really fun field trip to a pumpkin patch every year. And it's just, it's something everybody looks forward to. And she was a new principal to the building and felt that the teachers were holding this trip over the heads of students as if they were trying to catch students um, in situations where they could pull them from the field trip. And there was one particular student who was late every single day and the, the teachers were tired of it. They were, they're sick of it. And so they set up some sort of a demerit system and sure enough, in about two days, he was no longer eligible for the field trip. And so I talked this principal through it and I said, let's remember too, uh, you know, student tardiness is always well, no, maybe not always, usually a parent problem. And we've talked a lot about don't, you know, don't discipline or punish a child for a parent's actions. In this case, we have to extend our empathy about the COVID, um, the COVID trauma to parents as well. So we don't know what was happening in this student's home, why he was tardy, what, you know, what was going on at home that there wasn't any support to get him to school on time. But again, if you draw a linear line between the behavior of the parent and the student and missing the highlight of the fall of an eighth grade year, I, I said to the principal, what would make this child want to be on time? now that he can't go to the field trip and he knows everybody's kind of sick of him being late, like there's no motivator there at all. And so that, that brings me back to instruction to be punitive or to take something very important away is, is not the answer. Now the, the challenge comes when a principal is standing alone in that philosophy, because she said, I'm looking at my team and nobody wants him to go. And I said, and that, my friend, is where the courage comes in, the courage to communicate and to really try to get them to understand your perspective. At the end of the day, you need to stick up for the child. And even if they're mad at you for six months, they'll know you're going to stick up for a student. And that's I'll, I'll take that uh, exchange. I'll take that ex exchange anytime if I can sleep at night because I stuck up for a student who needed who needed me to. It's it's complicated times for everyone, parents, students, teachers. It's really, really hard. And so if we keep our eyes focused on trying to help students through this, I think it, I think we'll be okay. I really do. <laughs> I do too. And Jen, I'll point to another resource because your story just reminded me of my friend, Don Parker. He's the author of the book, Building Bridges, Engaging Students at Risk Through the Power of Relationships. And he's the principal of 
Posen Intermediate School in Posen Robbins School Districts near Chicago. And I talked to him probably a year ago on a podcast episode, and Don shared with me the story of working in a in, a, in an at risk with an at risk student. And Don is a former athlete himself, and so he discovered that the student um, loved basketball. And so once he figured out who the student's favorite basketball player was, um, he knew that he, punishment was not going to be what motivated this kid to come to school and perform. So instead, through their relationship building, Don decided to buy a few T-shirts that had that were connected to this basketball player, and and provide them as incentives. If I see you come to school so many days in a row, this shirt is yours. If I see you achieving this grade, this this average of grades over the next few weeks, this next shirt is yours. And he was able to th- through that relationship build incentives with this student to get that student to the point where he was becoming a highly a, a producing student who was engaging in school productively. And this was the student who was who had come in with all kinds of baggage, discipline, trauma, all kinds of of difficulties. And Don's whole point in that example is that the same point you're making, which is you know when when we dive into the when we can see school through the eyes of our kids, then how do we adjust our learning and discipline to meet them where they are and build bridges with them to help them get where we want them to be? And is that easy? No. Is it messy? Yes. Can we do it perfectly? Nope. But we can certainly improve and grow in the way that we respond to student behavior. So, Principal Matters listeners, I know that as we wrap up this week's episode, that's those are two dis, disparate. Um, they seem like two different questions, but I actually think they're connected. We've got a lot of people that are dealing with grief over legitimate loss of life that's happened within their schools, but we also have students that are coming back in who may be behind or maybe more immature, who've been through a lot of additional trauma, no matter what kind of family they're from. Uh, because of what COVID has done to our society and to our schools and to the mindsets of our teachers and leaders. So we don't share any of this because Jen and I haven't figured out. We just share this because these are the questions we're hearing from leaders. And together, we can remind ourselves of solutions that have been helpful in the past and that may continue to be helpful and hopefully can be helpful in the future. And I'm going to use that opportunity too, Will, to jump in with with something we said before we started recording. We both acknowledge to each other, we are not counselors. Mm -hmm. We we are not experts in this. We are principals and we're leaders. And so we've seen that from, seen it from that perspective, but counselors are out there willing to help and, you know, employee assistant programs, those, the, um, social workers, those sorts of things are resources that should be utilized. Don't take Will and I as, as counselors, we are just principals and we're just doing the same work you are and, and learning alongside you. I, so I say all the time, I, I'm not a licensed therapist. <laughs> I may be a licensed principal and, <laughs> and a licensed, um, instruction, whatever you want to call me. I may be a certified, <laughs> I may be a certified leadership coach, but I am not a licensed therapist. <laughs> well, Jen Schwanke, thank you so much for your input and in principal matters listeners. If you have questions that you'd like to follow up with, with either Jen or with me, please reach out to us. You can find all of my resources at will at williamdparker.com. And Jen, remind folks where they can find yours. At, at jenschwanke.com. Very easy. Thank you, folks, for listening this week. And thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>